Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I got a this happened but the problem with that story that narrative is it's not just a military fortification lane it's clearly the sacred geometrical patterns around rivers with the golden ratio that have been used for huge amounts of cities and, and colonizations you find these in, in in different locations and they look a lot like when you really find some of the ones in between like star forts so you have some in the rainforest which have become overgrown you've had crazy amounts of water that have come and they've started to break up the the shape the point of all that is that you know, was Atlantis a thing? Were there historical cities that existed like Atlantis beyond just Atlantis? And we see that this is the, the, the Easter egg hunt when we start finding star forts. And what they link together is this giant network. But what's crazy is that they're everywhere. There was this belief of kind of a balance in nature between not just making choices that are self-centered, but choices that have to do with the world around you and being in that with Patahotep. Also, the divine maxims of Patahotep are a eccentric part of Al the study is Al versus Law in Spanish and Arabic as far as and backwards. So Al Kemet, the study of Kemet, which is Africa, or you know, not Egyptus, but Kemet, and then Al Hebra, which is the study of the Hebrew. Tarot and Torah, you have, without vowels, similar words that mean wisdom through scripture and wisdom through gestalt or shape. In the 1600s, we have the Jesuit suppressions in the 1700s, which is an important thing where the Jesuit are shut down. And then for 100 years, they're living in secret and, you know, they live in America open. But nowhere else, you know, in the Freemason state and also in the Belgium under Catherine the Great. But they were hiding as much as they could. So once upon a time, there was a guy named Avidus, Avidus Zildjian. And he was a Turkish man. Actually, think of Armenian descent. You know, he could have been Tartarian. But out of Turkey, there was a revolution. He had to flee. I think what happened was he was part of the, the, the organization which tried to blow up a royal carriage. And so his family had to leave Turkey and they ended up in Connecticut. And then from Connecticut, he started making symbols. They they made like musical symbols. If you really look into like rock music, like a big sound for rock music is that symbol. And the symbol goes back. Gong, probably. The, 
the gong, but also there's this metal plate that they pound out in secret recipe from the 1600s in Turkey that goes back to the ancient, you know, like the basically the same thing that's used in rock music is used in all three major religions, churches. Like you use this in Catholic music and you use this in Islamic music, you use this actually even in uh, Hindu and, and, and different, you know, the Muslims are really all about it as well. So actually it's huge to use symbols and to make them, they have to pound out this crazy amount of metal, like, it's actually a kind of alchemy. Like Zildjian would have been referred to as an alchemist. And he brought his whole technique on pounding out this ring of metal to make this kind of sounding plate to America. And the company, I think they ended up, you know, the family broke up. So the sons divided and one of them went off and Zildjian's, I think now doing stuff in Massachusetts and Sabang stayed. And so Sabang is the, I forget if it's his uncle or where the name <laughs> Sabang comes from, but like after Kennedy's death, let me see if I can find Sabang. But yeah, Sabang basically is the original alchemical recipe for silk. It's basically like Puma and Adidas, the two brothers, the shoe company. So Sabang, when I think Incubus really, and you know, Growl, you know, from Nirvana, they started yeah. pushing Sabang symbols into the market. And like, you can really hear the difference between mm. the two, I think. Like, that's yeah. what makes alt rock. Well, yeah. that's, that's fantastic. Funny. And, you know, that's perfect way to intro this episode welcome to the my family think some crazy podcast you're probably wondering what's this new format we're trying new things folks this is an experimental podcast this is not your grandfather's podcast and today joining me as usual is my producer jp how are you jay from sunny san fran on my favorite smoking spot right here on this year yeah wow jay you're so privileged you're so white privileged over there near the golden bridge uh golden gate bridge and then joining me for the first time on the show he's a dude who synchronistically came into my life and the first day we talked we were talking about tartaria and we just hit it off from there so it's really awesome to have you here alex how are you man this is true doing well how you doing guys Good, good. So without further ado, you know Andreas Zertis. He's back. And uh, Andreas, I feel like I keep pronouncing your name wrong. Am I supposed to be saying Exertis with an Exertis like that or Zertis fine? So for like, I mean, I really like how in the new pronouns for gender, Zer is a, is a new thing. So I'm going with it, and it, but it sounds more French. But like, I like the X because it's like sex Zertis, you know, so I can... Okay. But it is what you, yeah, it is what it is. It's my French, it's my French tongue. My yeah. grandparents are French, so I grew it's up more, listening to it's French more about, in the house. It's more about the us, really. Mm. But like to exert, you know, but it's about us. All right, exert us. I love it. Well, Andreas, <laughs> I got to say, man, the fans loved our first episode together. Uh, you know, the small, loyal community we're building here in the My Family Think Some Crazy podcast. So, folks, I mean, if you heard that first episode and you haven't subscribed to the Patreon to see the video, I mean, Andreas, he cracked open for the first time one of the Illuminati card game decks before our very eyes. So that right there is an excuse to sign up for the Patreon. But today... You know, not enough of the promos. Today, we wanted to focus on a subject that I know everybody loves, Tartaria. And you just kind of introed that really nicely because, you know, one interesting thing about music and instruments, right? It's this type of invention and technology that interacts with us on a very 
subtle level, right? You're creating sound, you're creating music, you're shaping metal. This is a very precise art, you know, to do something like create a symbol out of metal. So this man, Zildjian, and, you know, his symbols, that is kind of our bridge into Tartaria today. But I, I guess maybe we should go back even further, Andres. If you were to give somebody like a 101 on Tartaria, where would you start? And then maybe we can go from there. Well, I mean, it depends. Are you talking to the crazy guy or are we talking to your family who know you're crazy? So <laughs> I think I think if we're talking to ourselves, the first thing I'd say is, you know, you've been lied to. You know that there's some truth behind every lie. Did you know that like when they do fake news, that there's also like something that they were lying about in the fake news? And if you get enough of those together through fake history, you can find the real history. And then did you know that the Masons were talking about Tartaria and like morals and dogma like 13 times? They talk about how they, you know, that the Tartars didn't deserve it and it was taken from them. And do you ever wonder why Tartaria was taken off the map and why your grandfather's bar globe still has tartaria one of the spots i say like that'd be the first place where i'd say start digging into tartaria now if your mom were to ask you then i would probably say have you heard of uh, anthropology and do you know who nicholas mcclay was and i'd probably can i can i pull open a screen share or you know yeah yeah i can i can allow that hold on i don't think you can I'm... allow that <laughs> i'm gonna allow it go for it <laughs> So here's a, a good start is there's this guy here, right? So Nicholas McClay. And when I was when I was growing up, I took anthropology. Actually, I probably took that picture of the San Francisco Bridge behind JP because I grew up in the in the privileged western part of the Western Hemisphere, Silicon Valley. But but like they they told us all about this guy, and he was a Russian anthropologist who studied Papua New Guinea, and he wrote really really impressive things about Papua New Guinea. For instance, did you know that the Papua New Guinea used, uh, the, the New Guinea people used a numbering system based on 60, a hexadecimal numbering system, and that they had seen Sirius A and B, two sun from a twin system that you would theoretically need ground lenses to observe. Well, they were trying to say one of the biggest problems with this guy is that in about 2010 or eight, it found his notebook. And in his notebook, he'd said, these were subhumans that we needed to rewrite their history, that we needed to take over, that we needed to present this really positive, benevolent vision publicly, but that secretly he was like, you know, an ethno-nationalist, ethnocentric, a prejudicial character who hid his personal beliefs. This is also important today because we have so many you know, people being canceled because of their personal lives. And he had tried really hard to hide his personal opinions and be very objective about what he had found. And so one of the things that he'd found was that in the in this in this place, just north of Australia, there had been a culture that had been removed. Indonesia, you know, if you look at the Indonesian temples, you can see all across this area that there was in Bali and in Malaysia, these crazy harmonic resonance towers. And this is kind of what was beginning to say, hey, was there an older culture? And this is what they say in Java and Bali. Yeah, there was an older culture here and it was super, how advanced was it? Well, it was laser cut advanced. And you know, what kind of technology they had? Well, they had bells and they used, you know, resonant energy. And they talk so much about energy today, mystically, as if at one point they had the convenience of energy, like, you know, passive current. And that's where the question got into Tartaria. So what is Tartaria? Then, okay, the next thing, because we're doing this for your mom, right? The next thing is the history of anthropology. So in, in okay, what, tablet of Tartaria. If you were to look for the oldest document we have, it's actually a tablet 
from Grasnica, Bulgaria, and it's uh, Romania, excuse me. And this is the uh, Tartaria tablet. Bulgaria has the, uh, the other Grasnica tablet, but this is even older. And this particular Neolithic clay, this is what it looks like when you look at it vectorized. But if I show you an actual image of it, they found a number of these things. And what's interesting about them is there's a writing system on here that we found, which is the original Tartaric Uralic. It has a kind of pseudo hieroglyphic and Phoenician, like there's phonemes here too, but there's actual symbols that are of animals and of plants. And so one's divided on either side. And so when we look at the history of anthropology, what is, what is expected of the history of the world is that everything started in war. And we, we see this as the excuse for everything. You know, we talked about the star forts before and star forts are described as being actually this 15th century bastion fort, you know, bastion fort being a military fortification, just happens to be the most beautiful military fortification with all sorts of amazing water patterns. Invariably, it's around water, which is helping the water circulate. And it's, you know, causing a natural flow that can be used for milling and water mills are useful for electricity. It just happens to be that this happened. But the problem with that story, that narrative is, it's not just a military fortification. I mean, it's clearly the sacred geometrical patterns around rivers with the golden ratio that have been used for huge amounts of cities and, and colonizations. And then you find out, you know, about a Mauritania, Atlantis. And people always are talking about Atlantis. And they're like, well, this is probably Atlantis, right? And now, then- if I could just jump in real quick, and sure. I love this, and I hate to interject because you're on a roll, but you mentioned the hexadecimal number system that the Papua New Guinea people use and how they knew positions of certain stars without telescopes. Well, in Mauritania, in that same area with the Dogon people had a very similar relationship with the Sirius B constellation. That's right, right Mark. So is, That's are you right, about Mark. to go That's, there? So this is where the thing gets funny. It's like, so in these other places that are theoretically fully removed from this other, I mean, this is talking about Papua New Guinea and Northwest Africa. I mean, it's like, can't get too much very can't get too much places. further than that but like if you take the ocean you know if you have boats it starts to make more sense but these places start popping up now this one's the one that's most famous everyone's like oh atlantis is one place and it existed maybe in africa at mortania well i've been to probably like a dozen of these ring cities now that are like they've about the same 23 um, mile radius and some of them look like they've been like completely wiped off you know there's people like Ferreira that like to talk about like dews and you know direct energy weapons and volcanoes that went off and ended Tartaria but the, the fact remains if you go to Spain if you go to South America to the rainforest actually in Iguazu in, in Paraguay or in you know Belen in uh, Arequipa in uh, Peru you'll find the same patterns in a lot of these places you find these in 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 different locations and they look a lot like when you really find some of the ones in between like star forts so you have some in the rainforest which have become overgrown we've had crazy amounts of water that have come and they've started to break up the the shape and especially if a fortification has been broken like these triangles start to disappear but some of them remain you have these triangular islands which really make up for it now the point of all that is that you know, was Atlantis a thing? What were there historical cities that existed like Atlantis beyond just Atlantis? And we see that this is the this is the the, the Easter egg hunt when we start finding star forts. And what they link together is this giant network. But what's crazy is that they're everywhere. And that's crazy only you know, it's insane if you're believing in archaeology and anthropology. Because according to the history of anthropology, civilization starts with war. 
war. And war requires us to build these fortifications and these fortifications are due to scarcity of resource and we're protecting these scarce resources by um, having wars with each other and stealing those resources. So who were the Aztecs? The Aztecs killed people by using other people. You know, who were the conquistadors? Who were these, but are any of these people the first people? Were the Olmecs the Aztecs? No. Were the conquistadors the Tartarians? No. Were the original Arabs, the Parsi, the Persians, were they all the original? Like everything has been at some point there's an, an, a disaster and then the disaster comes and then warfare happens. And even the word prehistory means that there's a breakage of records. The recording of, of, of history disappears. And so then, yeah, war happens. But this is theoretically 10 years ago, that in anthropology, we were allowed to start saying war was not the start of civilization. And I was considered to be like, you know, insane for saying this, but what my anthropology uh, teacher in, 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 in Foothill College, and we were doing things in South America, and we were going around looking at the Mayan writings, was that trade is really the, the core of civilization. And, and this is a huge difference because you can see even Japan. Japan started out as a trading network and then it became the Edo period. It isolates itself. It becomes an ethno state and it, it tangents, but it doesn't really evolve the same way trading empires like Iran and Rome, even by trading people through conscription, forced human trafficking for soldiers, right? But they gave everyone free bread and wine. This allowed for a great increase of saturation of ideas. So trade is the beginning of culture and but everyone's wondering where is this legendary trading culture right where where is this atlantis that existed because it's been pretty well a uh, victim of erasure by by what has come since the 1600s and you know in the 1600s we have the jesuit suppressions in the 1700s which is an important thing where the jesuit are shut down and then for 100 years they're living in secret and you know they live in america open but nowhere else, you know, in the Freemason state and also in the Belgium under Catherine the Great. But they were hiding as much as they could of the history of this lost uh, nation. And then simultaneously, everything starts to uh, be replaced, like Wall Street, right? Wall Street is a, is a street, but it used to be a wall. So Starf was the uh, New Amsterdam. If you look at a map of New Amsterdam, you can see originally Wall Street where the September 11th the towers were, it was right here, right? And then this is the street where the wall was taken down and that wall became Wall Street. So we, we're still living in, in the effects of what, what, what was already here in America and, and all over the place because you start seeing California and you start seeing Taiwan and you start finding the ruins of the original you know, city-states. And all of these have been claimed to have been built by, you know, pirates like an, you know, boatsmen from Holland and Ireland that have been conscripted by the Spanish and by the Moors. And so more, even the word wall, more, you know, more and like Mauritania has to do with walls too. More has to do with walls. So we tend to give credit at least to the Arab Moors. But when you go back just a little further, it becomes very clear that this was Tartaria. I think that would be where I would stop because your mom would be tired. Uh, no, please. That's, I mean, that's such a great place to stop because I have so many things to say. I know Alex might have some things to say as well. Alex, what are you thinking right now? No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's the big lie is like saying that everything starts with war. You know, that's like the most fucked up thing because if you look at like anything in nature, basically it's just like survival. You know what I mean? Everyone is just trying to like, just get by. So to subvert that, 
and say that all these things were meant for protection rather than like, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Res resonance too. Also resonance. Oh. Cause everyone's so, energy is going together in this crystalline structure. So what do you think the purpose of the star forts is other than like, so, so, so I think, I think the idea is first off that it's like a solar observatory because it's open. Also, it's a communal space. There's also an equal distance from most points and it's surrounded by water. So when water hits it, the waves flash out the other direction. So it's really a safe, natural location. And you look at Holland where there's a lot of levees and, and the, 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 the water level sometimes is higher at the ocean than the land is. And they have to save these valleys with dikes, right? So a lot of the time they use star forts to channel the water around them. I think it's mainly to build a uh, sustainable city. It's like the most perfect design. If you look at Disney World, like the Epcot Center, a lot of the futuristic designs are based on the star fort. And I also believe in like resonance. So if you think about climatic patterns, sofagio frequencies, a lot of almost all of these have cathedrals in them and with the cathedrals were as royal rife had talked about are you familiar with royal rife yeah yeah he's the guy who was potentially curing people of many different things with these different rays of light that he was creating it's almost like red light therapy if i'm or maybe like so yeah infrared. they're they're using a lot of his techniques of infrared and uh ultraviolet and this is what's happening right now with medicine i mean they're using nanoscopic laser essentially which is going through the skin with radio and it's actually de decalcifying and removing corroded arteries and helping flow and cardiovascular flow and people that have stones etc but he also worked a lot with sound in general and so sound healing and so when you look at some of the inventions they're essentially giant organs that had been fixed and so when you look at these churches which are these perfect marble resonant buildings with pews that would have been even maybe removed at one point a lot of them have these floors that have heating elements that come up from underneath and it, they're connected with the organ originally they weren't necessarily just for heat they were for sound and so those sound vibrations people would come to stay healthy and so when all of a sudden they shut all these down people got really sick and so when we started having huge malaria outbreaks and plagues, the bubonic plague is a coincidentally associated with the destruction of these uh, sound healing centers and these buildings. So I, I tend to go for that. Now, I, that's where so, I kind of draw my line because I know that there's a lot of people that want to take it way further and they want to, and there's awesome things about Tartaria. That kind of, that, yeah, and I agree with you there. I think there is uh, a tendency for people to take speculation a little too far in this realm. And that's why I really appreciate your take on everything because you have a very academic approach. But yeah. you know, one thing that really kind of connects what we initially talked about is like organs, music, the symbols, right? So there is this kind of, knowledge of sacred geometry and all that that implies that has yeah. been carried along through this kind of maybe secret society link from then till now because obviously this culture that we're seeing was lost right it's been forgotten it's been rewritten from the history so there was a time when human beings had a more advanced way of 
managing their environment. Like you talk about with the windmills and the star forts. I mean, one thing that I think is really interesting because you brought up the star forts in South America. Are you familiar with this very interesting type of soil that exists down there? That's like very, very enriched to the point where it was worked to be that way. I think they call it like prima ferta something like in almost Latin sounding. And, and yeah, it's this really fertile type of soil that was man-made to be that fertile and it's existing all around the amazon rainforest oh like terra preta that's what it is terra preta thank you so you know and that's you know one of these things that fits into the whole you know puzzle of what is this real forgotten civilization you see guys like graham hancock and then there's some guys that take like the ancient aliens approach and then there's like guys like you know sorry Russell, is it, what's the, who's the guy that I'm thinking, Russell Carlson, right? Is that his, Randall Carlson, Randall Carlson. So, you know, there's so many people that are pushing the timeline back and showing how our traditional Mm -hmm. narrative that we've been told from this American and Western academia is very false, you know, so. An interesting thing about Terra Preta is that they have a lot of it along the Ghana and Liberian coast in Africa as well. Wow. So it's, it's one of the more interesting connections in that world trade system idea. And it's like heavy, heavy nitrogen soil. But one of the things that I found was that I, I think this is a big part of it is like memory and water. So water, if you take a dog to tap water or to water from a stream, the dog will know in the bowl later which one was from a stream and we'll go for the stream water instead of for the the tap water every time because of water memory and when you use water that's been like what's his name victor schauberger had Mm. these amazing water spiraling systems and what water used from a spiraling system tastes better and it makes you feel better is like at least the thing i've personally noticed but the more interesting like on the numbers People using this in Australia found, I think it was in 2014, that they used 20% less water and they got about 40% increase in yield of, of size and of sweetness and of fruit just in general from their use of this water have because you, more of the minerals of, were being... Have you heard of the fourth state of water where it almost takes on this gel-like quality? I mean, there's like a, a lady named Dr. Dana Cohen who has this book called Quench that's all about really like how you can spiral your water just like Victor Schauberger did and create this fourth state of water where it's almost carrying the nutritional value of water right to where it needs to be inside of your body. And you can imagine like when water is inside of your body and it's with your blood and all the different organelles and cells it's mixing with, it does take on this fourth state. It's not, you know, Liquid. And it's also what the water runs through, right? So I was drinking water out of the Amazon at points, which was like brown, but it was like awesome because it has minerals in it. It's brown because it's passing through gold and copper and dirt. It's got all these crazy minerals and it becomes mostly clean from dirt because it pours through rocks, but it doesn't ever lose the mineral concentration. So you end up with like sodium and magnesium and selenium and like colloidal metals and I had carrots that were no joke, like about a foot long and were, you know, this thick, just crazy things in, in the Amazon. And then what do they do? They tell you on TV, they're like, well, you need to donate five cents a month. If you look at these children, they're drinking dirty water. And it's like, we take them away from the dirty water and replace it with fluoridated toothpaste. Yeah. Like, come well, on. This I'll is think crazy. So, terrifying. Yeah, that's so crazy to me that like the most basic thing that we have 
Like we could probably live off water if we had to. With when it's enriched, yeah, it's of like, course, you know. And it's like, you know, just drink tap. Like no one sees a problem. I would say the majority of society sees no problem with drinking tap water. It's terrifying. Or, and I know a lot of people that have made excuses so for it though. Like there's the people that think drinking oh, tap. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say I know people that drink tap water that or don't that don't drink tap water, but they think it's because other people are putting their pills or they're not they're not getting digested properly, and so all these women's pills that you know for the like for like for pregnancy and like met, you know people not taking their medication properly that's getting into the water supply, and so that's the problem. It's not that anyone's doing it intentionally. And it's like well you know one way or another, man. All I know is when I go down to the Amazon, like I feel like younger and health, I'm more vibrantly alive. Like I feel like it, it's rejuvenation. Yeah. And you look at these people that live in indigenous cultures, whether it's the Amazon or the Congo or Papua New Guinea, or even Australia, they, they have beautiful hair, beautiful teeth. They're not, they don't need to go and get some kind of balding supplement because oh, they they're losing their Flint, hair. They don't take Flintstones though. They, yeah. They don't take the, they don't need vitamins. Their food is coming yeah. straight from the tree. <laughs> they're eating their food with in the day it's taken from the ground you know like that's what's important and that's why even well, in our agricultural society our pastoral society that we from the west are in like there's still ways to homestead and get that kind of nutritional yeah. value you know i think that's what's cool about america that, right now is there's a lot of people moving towards that but go ahead alex i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but no, like it's that fine. that is like the that's like the most important schism that i see in this like new timeline that is emerging with like just this like clear movement whatever you want to call it like it's it's like so clear to anyone with you know wi-fi connection that like our food is stepped on and like our water is not good so there's like very simple things that we could do to create like a community that isn't like at odds with the the grid or like whatever is like accepted among you know our parent whatever the other people like you can still create your own community that is like based you know what i mean and not like like that's that's like the most inspiring thing that i see happening right now have you, have you heard of ski cult in uh, new mexico yeah. So my friends set up this thing. It's like a homestead community experiment project that's doing really well. And it's called Ski Cult as a kind of a joke, but they're just some kids from like Silicon Valley that have like mining rigs from Bitcoin and stuff set up so that no one has to really have to worry about it once they were there. Cause a lot of them were like brilliant kids, but COVID hit and there was not, they weren't working. So they just set up this like kind of community. And it's really interesting because you can do a lot of positive things, but you have to also keep in accordance with how that affects everything else. So in the long run, micro communities isn't going to be like the strongest harmonization we can do uniform like i've designed like uniform colony designs like on github so you can download my like geodesic dome plan and like you set up like a colony and we did one in new mexico and we did one in south america and like there could be more and more of these fuller yeah totally but definitely based on buckminster fuller but also it's upgraded for maybe that 2020 that can segment, you know, maybe that can segment us back to Tartaria because it does kind of connect to what we were talking about before. That is, like that's this, the deal. We are rebuilding Tartaria. It's like yeah. a worldwide and uh, it's culture. This, and it's like, if am I correct in assuming that, like, when we talk about Tartaria, we're talking about this 
forgotten advanced human culture like that's the gist of it is that and also and also ideologically there's this lens that we are the apex and we're not like there could easily be there's rises and falls in any story and like the human uh civilizations have come and and come and gone and so one of the things that's so scary about something like tartaria is that it could it could have existed and it could have fallen and that could happen to us and that can and that's what is happening right now is we're seeing mistakes that we're making that are destroying our society so andreas do from your understanding of the civilization did they have a uh unified religion so that gets really complicated but i would i would say religion and yoga are kind of the the change there i think it was more like a yoga that was more like there was kind of an understanding and awareness and like connection with the spiritual truth but i don't think that it was the same as a dogmatic we need to connect you back to you've you've sinned original sin was probably not as big of a thing i mean like the way that islam was described by the buddhists in indonesia before muhammad that's what we're talking about and so the words that we're using today have all been taken by new you know groups that are controlling these words like for instance christ means anointed one like messiah is an aramaic now, are we Greek. talking about this islamic resonant res, re, renaissance like is that where that, or that's was a that change of, that's muhammad the, that's that's the renaissance is the post muhammad period once muhammad happens and so a lot of people talk about muhammad is being, you know, like they take the Christian biblical books, and according to the Fomenko chronology, what happens is when the Jesuits are suppressed, they create Islam, you know, because it's 700 versus 1700, and not even just the phantom time hypothesis, 700s would have been in the 1700s, makes Islam not 1300 years old. It makes modern Islam about 300 years old, the way we look at Islam today, not that there wasn't already that word, Maimonides exists, and we go back further and we look at the, the, the Utman Quran, which is in Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan, but the, the oldest Quran we have is in Russia. And so when we start looking at what exists before that, we see like, well, there was this belief of kind of a balance in nature between not just making choices that are self-centered, but choices that have to do with the world around you and being in that with Patahotep. Also, the divine maxims of Patahotep are a centric part of al- the study is Al versus Law in Spanish and Arabic is forwards and backwards. So Al Kemet study of Kemet, which is Africa, or, you know, not Egyptus, but Kemet, and then Alhebra, which is the study of the Hebrew, it's tarot and Torah, you have, without vowels, similar words that mean wisdom through scripture, and wisdom through gestalt or shape, so you have, like, pictures, but you also have through, you know, memorial, meta-tagged context for experiences that have been, you know, labeled and described by people, so that, that was kind of the world we were living in. I don't know if it necessarily was a good thing or a bad thing. I, I have friends that write dystopic remote views. They try to imagine, like, and they say, like, Tartaria had problems because, you know, obviously, like, Atlantis, if things are built up to that automated level, I mean, imagine our future. If everything's automated, you know, and you can just get bread and, and wine and, uh, for free out of vending machines everywhere. What will the world be like? And so there will be some people that do amazing things, but it also would mean that a lot of people wouldn't have to do anything. And that is a concern. Like it could be that society collapsed because people didn't know how to take care of it. It could be that when a natural disaster hit, the automated couldn't predict this glitch. It also could be that this was a plan that like at some point we harvest a society and then it collapses. It could be that it was controlled in that way. So, I mean, but these are could be's and that's why I say like, 
pre- presenting what we know about it as opposed to like all speculation. Yeah. And I think where the timeline with the phantom timeline thing, I think that's where I get a little confused, but like previous guests, Ari Aslan, I think I mentioned him to you paradigmthreat.net. Like he's doing an interesting job of piecing together timeline in a, in a way that fits into the Saturn myth and the David Talba interpretation of that Saturn prehistory time period. But, you know, looking back on the past couple centuries when does tartaria merge because in my opinion i learned about you know well my perspective on it is i i learned about tartaria around the same time i really understood flat earth and q and maybe it's just my perspective that all these things came about on the internet in a similar time period like what's your take on that because i know you uh, mentioned to me the... go ahead no, I know you mentioned with me like the Tartaria Codex, right? And I'm just wondering what, where do we find the legitimacy of Tartaria merging and, and what, how did it really come? Why did it become popular, do you think, in the past so, couple years? So my bad for it becoming popular, That's probably. Right. But also with working with working with people that were talking about Tartaria, I think it was like it emerged in Russia more around you know, it had been talked about forever, but like maybe 2008, you started seeing internet videos that were mentioning Jesus didn't exist. And in the Jesus didn't exist series, they start going into Fomenko. And then he talks a bit about the Tartars. And that's, that was kind of, kind of one of my first in understandings of the Atlantis Tartaria. Before that, you've got in 1968, the CIA were working to try to like interrupt the Soviet internationalism and to create nationalism amongst Russian Tartars, you know, Cossacks. And so they introduced a, you know, and you can find the government documents talking about it at that point. And I'm Slavic, I'm Croatian. And so I've, I've always been interested in Taurus Bulba and in Slavic myths. And so Russian stories that have to do with the Cossacks and the Tartars and Freemasons from Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. And if you've read War and Peace, they, they talk about the Tartars too. They talk about these things. And there's great movies about it, but one of the my life has been just fully immersed in this by accident forever like when i was a kid they they talked about the vegetable sheep and a number of things and then when i got to anthropology class they said be careful if you ever hear of the vegetable sheep of tartaria because that's how you know anthropologists are crazy because they don't know what they're talking about and it's like what a weird what like why would you bring that up that's just so crazy so there's always a thing there about tartaria and then, you know, I'd heard some people talking about it in 2010 or 12. And then by 2015, I'd gone all over the place and seen all of these places and pieced together this theory that, you know, basically there'd been noblemen, Scythians, Aryans, Tartarians, like Slavic people, you know, all over the place. Africans, if that's what you call them, because like they could be, if they're from everywhere else all, all the time, then aren't they just earthlings? And so there's all this diversity everywhere. So what's going on? And so start looking into that. And then I was like, wait a second, the Tartars, they're here too. And then they're there, there. And what is happening? And finally, I was like, wait, this isn't just. So I made a video that was like, okay, here's what I know about Californian missions and Deseret and how it connects to the Tartars. And then that got me into kind of searching for Tartaria more. And I think ever since then, it's just been, 
you know, it's been, it just got huge. Like as soon like if my first video got like a million views, my channel was, uh, you know, I was on someone else's channel. So then I made my, my own channel and I got like a couple hundred thousand views. And then they started blocking me because so many people talking about it, we're talking about flat earth and talking about Q and all this other stuff, but it wasn't, it wasn't like that originally. And so you look at the Tartar Codex at Yale, it's like what the sixties, the fifties that they start looking into that. And, you know, of course, Russia has been, you know, forever fascinated since the 1800s, Russian cosmism has been obsessed with this as well. So it, it it's kind of a tragedy that internet uh, pigeonholed it with the rest of all these other things. Cause I think it's just so different. It's like the most inclusive thing. It's like, it's more on par with like the 1619 project than it is with flat earth, because this is where we're talking about. And, and like also with what Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson are doing too. I mean, really, if you look at it and I, I wonder if. I wonder that, why Graham what, Ham, Hancock hasn't really gotten on the train. It kind of bothers me. And I think it's literally because I was talking to him and we we're doing correspondence at some point. And I, there are people I prefer from France. Don't get me wrong, but the guy has got some interesting publicity. So I was hoping he would ever bring up the subject, you know, and it, what it came down to, I think was that some, I think it was in Connecticut, actually, there were some kids that, there were some kids that kidnapped native Americans and they said and they were black. And they said that these native Americans weren't actually the Tartarians, that these black kids from Connecticut, they were the real Tartarians. The black and Israelites? So it was something like that. I have to, I have to look it up on like Tartarian kidnap. American native. Let me see if I can find you the article. Yes. And they said it was because they said they were the real Tartarians and that the the society had lied and that they're trying, I can't find it right off the top of my head, but like they said that society had, you know, stolen the land that that, like black people were from Connecticut and from Tartaria and that this is originally their home. And they wanted it back from these casino owning people that had been brought in, you know, by Columbus or something like that. It was like, it was so off the wall that it, it made Tartaria sound crazy and it was such a specifically like it was felt so manufactured and not real like i don't know it was such i don't know what happened but that was the weirdest thing i ever heard about modern you know meme magic with tartaria and after that i don't think graham hancock wanted to have much to do with it that could be the issue wow yeah no i think you know there's so many things that he is doing that this interpretation will inevitably fit in if the two are correct anyway so even if graham hancock isn't using the label tartaria i think he's ultimately looking into this same lost civilization evidence right so you know i guess it's it's more about like where you what camp you're in which is unfortunate but i think everybody has a different path to the same truth in a lot of ways right so but i wonder how this like flood plays into it because i know that people say like you know, the coastline used to be a lot smaller and the ocean levels were a lot lower. So a lot of civilization naturally being on the coast was flooded. And in Indonesia and Southeast Asia, that would have been Lemuria. And between that and India and Africa, right, that would have been Lemuria. And then in between Europe, Africa, North America and South America would have been something like Atlantis, right? When when there was more space and more coasts when the oceans were lower. Is that does that fit into the Tartaria model? And maybe I Yeah, should... let's let's pull up expanding Earth map in a second. I wanted to really quickly also though corroborate your point that you know here's Putin looking at a map of Tartaria because they brought it in Dmitry Medvedev brought it in to meet with the Tartarstan Minotaur Shamev and talked about what was left of Tartaria 
where Tatarstan is, the issues with the Khazars and with the, the Chinese control of the Uyghurs, and the Uyghurs are descendant of the Tartars. And, you know, this is, and also the map itself from William Blow, which was from the, you know, Dutch, but he was associated with the Moors because it's back before this, you know, as the Spanish had just taken over, you know, his family had been blonde Moorish at that point. So Berber. And so the Tartar, the Tartar maps of these groups that had taken expeditions into Moscow, but I also want to pull up also expanding earth theory. So if you're, this is not to say everything is one way or another, it could be flat, it could be a ball. But the idea of expansion, if we're coming out of like the solar systems moving apart idea and that we're looking at a big bang and things are expanding, then if you look at how the continents have pushed apart, it could also be that we're experiencing expansion and that things are moving away from each other um, as the earth is getting larger. I, I know that might offend some people that are so super flat, but I think that also explains some of this. And it, it also works on a, on a flat scale if you if you think about it because as things start to push apart in a, in a wider ring that like an egg you know the space egg theory which is what the, what David Ike's Zulu guy talks about that is the expanding egg theory and that's the ancient freedom of, well that's right that's right yeah wow yeah Credo so, is one of those YouTube videos you come across like whoa like, who's this guy? <laughs> shouldn't have eaten that hand right yeah but. <laughs> You look at you look at that and it's like okay so these places have moved further apart they might have been closer but also just the way we actually project seems to uh polar projection makes makes everything seem so far apart when you look at things from the north pole it is so much closer to everything you know it's a hop skip and a jump it's a straight line across here there's not a lot going on over here where there probably was another place and that place is gone right just like that's what's appears tons of stuff that they're not having you think about but these places are actually really close together so the the idea of lemuria and madame blavatsky is like ships in the night with Darwin, who was, you know, in love with his best friend, John Edmonston, who was, you know, a Guiana, a taxidermist. They had similar theories. Blavatsky seemed to influence Darwin, you know, as far as it looks. And it's that idea that really we're all just one kind of race. And this is interesting because it's not wrong or right. It's just a different perspective because we do have really extreme differences in the hominids. Bigfoot is, you know, Neanderthals and Denisovan and Furiensis and Australopithecus and Heidelbergensis and Homo erectus are all kind of different, right? But Homo sapiens have gene flow between them. So what we end up seeing is genes coming and going between different kinds of hominids. So they are kind of like one thing, because if they have that, I mean, donkeys and horses cannot do that. They cannot take the same genes and have the uh, promoter sequences match up from parent to parent so that they sequence correctly. So for whatever reason, we have enough base pairs that are stocked that actually can register the exodrivers for our promoter sequences. So they can actually ring true. And sometimes they don't, and that's a good thing because you don't want to inbreed until if you do, you want to get to a point where you have the most pure inbred nobility with the other most pure no bred so that they produce these giants, right? Because when you take tiny corn, I don't know if you've seen that. You take corn, you put a bag over the corn, you shake the corn, it pollinates itself. You start breeding corn down until it's tiny corn. Then you have the smallest possible inbred corn. You take another corn, you do the same thing with, and that's how they make giant corn, right? So this is what we do with humans. This is what royal families do. And then they create these giants, right? Is and that so why I'm 6'8"? Because I come from some inbred people? 
Not necessarily. It actually could be just that you have, uh, but you know, actually at the same time, aren't we all kind of genes do get narrowed in, in yeah, certain no, places. No, I dig so. it, man. I've always wondered like where the giantness comes from in me. But I think there actually is like, you know, for the, for, for, for really tall people, you've seen the Smithsonian thing on giants and like back molars. I was just about to say, yes, yeah, Sam Tripoli calls me the Nephilim, you know, yeah. like I, I think like that's like maybe that's where we can go next is like how do they fit into the Tartaria model and like the mounds and everything that was going on in North America. I know we kind of touched on that in our first episode, but maybe we can go there. I got to say, go, go for it. No, it's all right. Go for it. Oh, well, it's okay. I feel like as Exertus, I can think more about the Nephilim as Tartaria. It's still like trying to be scientific and academic. So like, let's, let's then say that this is more of a speculation thing when we're talking about the Nephilim, but even then I'll try my best to keep it based in reality. So we know the idea of Anunnaki from Nibiru, from the uh, Epic of Gilgamesh. And it's this idea that there is a orbital system and that the other thing has an orbiting system that's going the other direction. So one's going this way, one's going the other direction. And at some points they meet. But the thing is one's orbiting a much larger distance with a second set of Alpha Centauri or you know, doggone people's Sirius star. The other is us, is spinning a much shorter distance. And so we're making more years, right? What we call years, which are like orbits around this this sun, you know, and that, so according to the Sumerian astrology or astronomic astrology, one year for the other might take 5,000 years before they meet again. And so it would feel like this group lived a much longer time. In fact, it would seem like they were immortal because every year would be like five or 6,000 years. You'd be like, whoa. Also, because of this expansion idea, they would be taller, right? And so even with equivalent growth for Earth, they would still be you know, larger. So you would have really giant people at the times when they actually interact with each other. And so the Anunnaki idea that they come down also... If you imagine where humanity is going with technology, we'll be sending our, if you wanted to replace your body with another body, you would data transmit yourself through light because light would be like photonic as opposed to electrical symbols. You have in photonic symbols, a seven band spectrum. So you can put seven times as much information through a rainbow as you can through an electrical bolt, right? So a spectrum of information is important. We can then imagine a Dyson sphere that shoots data or rather Latter-day Saints believe in Kolob. I don't know if you're familiar with Joseph Smith's Kolob idea. So, but the idea that there's a star in Alpha Centauri called Kolob, that Jehovah, like you know, the subgenius church or something with Evo, like this is Kolob is sending a signal to us, and then our sodium water is picking it up and evolving. And that's look, we're hearing it. We're hearing that data transmission and it's affecting us. I mean there's something kind of steampunk Tartarian about Latter-day Saints. I got to say the Mormons have something going on with that, but if that is the case, then the Anunnaki could be able to manipulate also with light, multiple spectrums that could bend time or what we understand of for time, because they can be here and they could also be somewhere else. If they're able to communicate with themselves simultaneously, they might be able to manipulate. And that's where a lot of people get into the idea of like mandala effects and resets that have more to do with is our time is, is the past being put into the past right now. I don't necessarily say like, you know, go for it, but like at the same time, I, I can see how that works because of linear time. Like you look at, we were talking about MISO before and MISO, these nuclear blasts, right? Do we, we did, we talked about MISO in the last show, I think. Right. 
I don't think so. No, but bring it up. Go for it. Okay, so miso soup is really weird because it eats radioactive metals. And so when the the Hiroshima happened and they, this, the doctors weren't dying, they were like, what's going on? No, I mean, we're glad, but like... You know, and they said, well, we don't know. We're not doing, we don't have any food. All we have is miso soup and we're just living on it. Like, well, wait, go, 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 go get that. Get that. Let's look into that. And they're like, well, this thing that's in the miso, it's eating enzymes from proteins and it's pulling the protein apart to get the amino acid. And it's pulling out of, it's like, wait, where did you find this crazy nanotech origami mold? They're like, oh, it's just been here forever. It's like, well, look at like time space. It's not been there forever. It's actually 700 years or something. I think that they found it before, but you look and you can see like a drop in a well, like the rings that come out from time. And so there's actually a pretty good metric about the amount of mass of heavy radioactive metal from the uranium plutonium 237 and 234 that was used that measures out like in terms of an explosion, the size would affect like in terms of what we understand of light speed, you know, it could it would account for 700 years of travel into distance into space, which we could say since it's not traveling in space might be traveling through our understanding of the, the structure of time, which is crazy or insane. But at the same time, miso soup saved Japan and the world. So it's pretty awesome. And, you know, so I would say it's worth looking into time bending. Oh, my gosh. Jay, you, you're ahead of the curve, Jay. You drink ramen all the time. That's miso soup, right? Isn't that the same thing? I don't think so. Okay, well, then I'm wrong. <laughs> Fuck me. So, yeah, so miso is... That's amazing. I mean, no wonder why Hiroshima and uh, the Fukushima had such a notwithstanding Dude, effect. We need right to before, about this. Right before Fukushima, I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles, right? And so the worst place was Santa Cruz. And I just left Santa Cruz because if you look at, well, this, yeah, if you look at California, no, I, yeah, this is the, this is like the furthest point of California. That's mm -hmm. Santa Cruz. So I, that's the place that got hit the hardest by the tsunami, you know, from Japan, like people's boats were crashed into the coast in California. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty important, but I was down in LA. So I was just below that in a pretty safe spot. And I had this horrible gut pain and I was feeling like super like, like, ah, oh, like, ah. Oh. And someone was like, you know, they said like, how, what's going on? Like, how do you, like, I just felt like, you know, a million voices just cried out and there was suddenly silence. Cause I was making fun of how Obi-Wan felt when he sat down in star Wars. And then literally like the TV goes on and says the tsunamis happened. I'm like, Oh my God. And I literally, I thought up to that point, I was going to have to go to the hospital cause I was getting like appendix burst or something. It hurt so bad. So I, I felt really crazy about that. But just two weeks before that, I decided randomly like seaweed's awesome. Miso soup is awesome for my own health and all these other reasons I should get a bunch of seaweed. So I ordered like $200 worth of seaweed. And then that night overnight, it became worth like $10,000 worth of seaweed because, you know, you couldn't get it ever again. Cause like the radiation and everything that they were worrying about the coast. So is this so, iodine, the iodine yeah. that has that effect too? Is yeah. that what's in miso or no? No. So the way miso works is you have a bean paste or some sort of proteinous uh, substance and you feed it to a mold like sauerkraut. You know what I mean? And so that that probiotic yeasting, actually, I'll look up the name for you. Would that even apply to like something like kombucha as well? Or is it purely something inherent to miso? Each ferment is different. And so ferments happen, but like you have, you know, like 
yogurt has a ferment and mm. what they'll do with coconut yogurt, they'll take that ferment, feed it to only coconut, get rid of all the lactose, but it comes from the original mold that's been I'll tell you down what, I, years. you know, maybe this is turning into a little health show, but I, I've been eating Siji's Icelandic yogurt for the past oh, nice. uh, two years and it's very probiotic, has a lot of calcium and it's really changed my whole health because I, I smoke a lot. So like I need to take care of my mouth and my oral health and like, I'm telling you, like, Siji's Yogurt, if they could sponsor this podcast, I would, like, explode. You know, I actually started using a probiotic toothpaste. It's a charcoal mm. with probiotic in it. I have to find it. It's so good. Yeah, but, that's But awesome. As- Aspergillus orze is the name of the koji mold. And this is the mold that they use to sacrifice rice and also what they use to feed the <laughs> I, I don't want to sound racist, but like it sounds like they're like sacrifice the rice. <laughs> like sacrifice. Oh you my know? Word. <laughs> I guess it, I guess that's sacrificing with, it. <laughs> they unbind the, the rice and let it break open the the, the starches and then the, the carbohydrates and, and sugars are broken down. So it, it causes so for instance, when you take like cabbage and you eat cabbage, there's not a lot of nutrients in cabbage. But when you feed it to some sort of a mold, sauerkraut, you're eating probiotics, you're eating billions of little life forms, and it's way better for you. But this wow. is the the way it you know breaks down a it's the protein. national fungus of Japan too. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Go for it. Sorry. Oh, just if you take a protein and uh, you break it down, it starts. Where's this is? What, I want to see like maybe like a peptide chain or something like that would be cool. Like when you start to see at its root level what a protein looks like, it's got these amino acids in a polypeptide chain that snap and form like origami into these crazy shapes based on explosions of ATPs. So it makes, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible at a mechanical level. It's like clockwork, but by breaking it open then you can pull out the heavy metals. And so it actually like helps you drain radiation. So that, I mean, also like molds can eat radiation. So they have mushrooms that they use to eat, you know, the radiation at Chernobyl. Wow. I love that. I love that that became, came out of this. I wasn't expecting that at all, but that's like totally a part of this whole lost civilization thing. Cause there are so many things in this earth that are, have amazing properties to them that have been around for so long that our modern society forgets about. And, you know, we can go into like current events and how this is being perpetrated against us with this scientific materialism, but I'd rather go back to something very interesting that maybe we didn't touch on enough is this Tartaria Codex, because obviously, you know, I'm a little partial to this subject being so close, you know, Andreas, you said you might be able to let hook me up with actually seeing it in person. I've been to the Beinecke before and I've seen a certain things there that they've put on display, but I've never had the privilege of actually like picking something from, you know, the Beinecke to look at myself. I want to look yeah. at the Voynich manuscript because that's in there, but Alex the actually Beinecke. knows uh, yeah. some things too. Go for it, Alex. No, I was just going to say the Beinecke is a strange place. It's like the Beinecke to me, it like represents how, it's like they have everything because when you walk in, it's this big brutalist. I don't know, Andreas, if you, you've probably been there, but it's like this just big brutalist marble block. And then all the good stuff is on the inside. And it's like Fort Knoxed out with glass walls and, you know, these. And a security guard. Really, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got to know, you got to know a Russian student to get past it. But yeah, there's yeah. that weird, you're right, that Muslim Mecca 
cubeism. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then it's like they give you like little, you know, glass screens with whatever they choose, you know, to show you that day. It's yeah. like it's very strange, but that's the problem that I ran into, like living there. I wanted to do all this research, but I could only get so far, you know, I didn't know how to like break, break the break the castle walls, really, you know. I really lucked out because I was trying to sell a TV set or something or no. OK, I got the greatest story and I didn't even remember. So how I saw the Yale Codex, I I had bought on Facebook because I just got a new job and I was getting paid and I was like, oh, I can buy frivolous stuff. And I shouldn't, so I won't go out. But then I saw this uh, picture of a tall, like a room divider. Because I had someone said I should get like a room divider so I could be behind the room divider. But it was a room divider that was a tarot deck. And it was all, like six foot tall, three divides and all of the uh, Rider Waits deck. Really nice, you know, style deck. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'll get it. It was like 90 bucks or something like that. <clears throat> so it was like ridiculous, but I was like, okay. So I had it for a while and then I was like, I gotta get rid of it. But like, who do you sell a tarot deck to? You should never sell your tarot deck is all the witches say. And the person who ends up buying it for me, I hope I can even say this story, right? But like, <laughs> was this like, is a cool Russian lady who was going to Yale and was like, you know, like, I was like, wow, that's cool, Yale. Like, and she's like, is it? And I'm like, I thought it was like, you must, you should not overthink things like Yale. I'm like, okay, all right. It's like, well, I'm really interested in Tartaria. She's like, you know the Tartars. I'm like, yeah, what? That's my, well, but you're Russian. So you know the Tartars? Like, oh yeah, I know the Tartars. Like, I'm like, this is epic. Like, you know about like how they're an advanced civilization? She's like, yeah, but like spiritually advanced too. And like the folklore and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, like you're into Radnavri, into the, you know, pre-Soviet folklore religion, you know, of Rod. Okay, that's cool. Well, I want to see the Tartar Codex. So then I got to go with her. So yeah, you know, because she works there. I don't know if she still does, but I think she does. But like definitely, you know, what's going on with COVID's changed a lot of this because this was all right before. This is like October of uh, 2019. So it was right before uh, everything was so crazy. And like, it was like, it was like, I think this is quiet this windless night, this calm before the storm kind of moment where you could just do so much. But there were so many different things we got to see. The Vinland map, the the, the Ecternacht, I think, is like the, you know, Codex, how let me find the name? Codex Aureus of Ecternacht is a illuminated gospel book from like the 10th century from Nuremberg and also mentions it. And then there was the Hedwig Codex, which also talks about it. But the Vinland map is the really the famous one. And it's, it was, what, like $50 million or something like that. 1965 presented to be genuine. And this was the one where, you know, everyone said, we're not sure if it's real. We're not sure, you know, like for 50, 60 years, 70. It's like, you know, it's, at some point. So then as soon as we had this talk and like I was saying to people, yeah, I'm pretty convinced that this is real. And meeting like in Connecticut, you know, like the kinds of people that aren't famous that live in Connecticut that are really important are a lot. And so those people were getting interested in Tartaria. And so it's interesting how Tartaria has like really hitting the right people has got it to grow. But there almost instantly an article came out from Yale that was saying that they now think that it that was a forgery. And it was just overnight that they were doing this. And I, I was like, you, you care all of a sudden now? Like what, like what is the, and it made it really suspicious to me. Like, well, we don't have evidence for it one way or another, but we don't think it's real anymore because it, you know, it's too embellished about these ideas. 
And it talks about California being an island and all these other things, which is like, well, I just spent the last two years proving why they did this and what the, what the idea of California's island and the gold rush and like using these giant hoses and where Deseret is. Like this is... There, there's so much evidence too in the Grand Canyon too with like all of this, like there's even like, I think Chinese artifacts that they found in the Grand Canyon. And like, I think a guy named Corey Daniel, he's done a lot with the he i think his website's called the phoenix enigma and he's been on the higher side chats and he's talked about some of like the weird strange things in the grand canyon and like yeah man i i definitely think that there's something going on i mean just look the at grand canyons the, grand uh, canyon. 19, I mean, the 1909 discovery that they took everything and they put it into to smithsonian is just so nuts so you have these examples all over actually there's one in the petrified forest in Lake County in California. There's another in the petrified forest of Arizona. When you start looking into silicon trees and petrified forests, you look at Grand Canyon, you see some pretty interesting stuff there too. But when we think of Egyptian, you know, what does that mean? Like at the end of the day, we we're talking about alchemistry and like the Kemet, like Tahotep people, like you're, you're looking at Tartarian artifacts. Well, you're not because they hid them from you. So this is the big problem with the Smithsonian. And one of the craziest ironies of all of this, right? So I'm on the lead, finding all this stuff. I'm in Connecticut, you know, which to me is kind of crazy because you've got the Yale people that are hearing about this stuff. And like, that's, that's as close as you're going to get to the, the truth without getting, you know, yourself, yourself Seth Riched. And I, I end up moving of all places to DC. And so I'm like, for the first time, I'm like, well, I can go see the Smithsonian, but what do they do? They've shut down the world. And so the Smithsonian, you can't go to at all. Now it's already kind of a joke. The Smithsonian's been shut down since the beginning. You know, when you look into the history of the Smithsonian, but I'll get into that in a second, just a billion dollars was written into the stimulus bill or whatever the deal with Trump was supposed to sign and Biden had to sign was that the Smithsonian gets a billion dollars to upkeep all of the stuff they have, which is like, all right, but who runs the Smithsonian? And all of these guys who used to be in intelligence run the Smithsonian, right? Right next to the Smithsonian is the spy museum. There's, it's not a joke, like what they do in DC. And all right, so now the history of the Smithsonian, because you've already heard that the, the way I like started looking into the history of the Smithsonian was, well, they took the giant bones and they hid them. Well, they took this and they hid that. Well, you know, Indiana Jones, like crusade box is in the back of the Smithsonian, right? That's that's the Smithsonian. It's a place that hides truth. Like why? What's the, the first NASA space rocket museum was the Smithsonian. So all of world history and the future progress, right? Seems kind of weird. Who was Smithsonian? Well, Smithson was his name. And he's a guy who had nothing to do with the organization. Super rich guy. I think he inherited his money as a foundling or something weird. But like he ended up becoming like a, I think someone gave him some money. I forget the whole backstory there. But like he ended up with, he's a British guy. And so he created a library club. And he had all of these amazing books, all about Tartaria and the world and everything else in between. Can't see all of the books. His original library is not, you know, on display. You could probably, if you became a member of the, and I, I'm super down almost just to get a job working for them for not enough money, just so I could handle some of their stuff. But what they've done is they've, you know, they've taken this guy who died in Italy and they might've, you know, who knows, like, cause he could have been, you know, he died under really, let's say just objectively, he died under suspicious circumstances. And that's fully true. You know, there's not, he wasn't very old and it was, you know, okay. So then they took his money and they said, oh, we found this paper will that he created. And it says all of his money goes to this organization in America that we're calling the Smithsonian. 
And it was like, this guy's never been to America. Like, what does he want to do? What? And so it was really random. And, but, you know, all of his books had to be taken all of it. And they, you know, it just, it was just hush hush and really quick. And that's the beginning of the Smithsonian. And it's ever since then, just been this like nefariously run organization that few people really have oversight over and the government used them for their library of congress like they have basically taken over uh record keeping for the new world uh, reset and so the smithsonian is a really really weird organization but i got just like a couple weeks ago i was in dc walking around and i just walked around the garden and campuses because i was like i really want to go in but obviously like it's going to be closed for months still they're not opening it back up to the public even with other things starting to open again like they're they even with a billion dollars they're they don't care about people seeing the stuff this is about preservation now so it's more and more of a hidden history and yeah they they know what happened in a lot of these places on uh, Krigler hill Krigler mountain in illinois or these different pyramid mountains in the middle west and, and they know about the petrified forest but yeah can't they're cover-up artists you know that's what like they go in they take the cool stuff and then they throw it in their vault underneath the museum and just like the beinecke they only show you what they want you to see you know and yeah. and, and and it exactly. just you know so i just I love where this conversation is going, man. I just think we're we're we have this real knack for for coming in with a nice cyclical rhythm, right? Because now we're connecting back to the Nephilim, right? Because all of these giants and the mounds, they're all connected and the Smithsonian comes along and hides all that information from us. So it's very clear that, you know, there are gatekeepers to this type of information and their agenda doesn't fit with us understanding the truth until now because the internet's gotten away from them, right? And, and people like us are able to look into things and share information faster and clearer than ever. And I think that that's just so inspiring to see this kind of examination being done of history, you know? I got a friend who just got into radio and he's doing like ham radio where you communicate with truckers and all this. And there's a lot of really surprisingly interesting community. A lot of really interesting people that have radios that are into math and science and engineering or like brain heady people. And there's a whole like, you know, it's like discord or anything else. Like there's a whole other community on there. When you get on there, you find like a lot of interesting things. I think that, you know, radio is another thing that is coming back because of the truth, you know, that way you can say, but it's also something that for years they tried to control. Yeah, I forget where I was just listening to somebody saying that. Like, we can always build a ham radio ourselves. Like, you know, it's nobody can stop you. Well, you can't that. always. That's, you know, that's part of, partially why I got into all this. Is like you start thinking about what would happen if civilization collapsed. Mm. And, like, could you build yourself, a, like, let's say I had a TV set and it broke. Like, could I replace parts on it, right? Like, let's say I have a 1999 cathode ray tube television set. Could I fix it? Like I could have replaced any of the pieces in that thing. And like, the answer is pretty much like, no, no. Well, what about ham radio? Ham radio is similar. Like you need vacuum tubes, right? So the same thing, vacuum tubes are really important. You can build a crystal radio set. And like my grandfather taught me that first thing, I think is like you build a crystal radio set with copper wire. So that way you can communicate if you're ever thrown in a, in a gulag, right? This, you know, don't let that happen again. Like, <laughs> like, like this kind of crystal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You could literally wrap that to get a toilet paper roll, wrap it around with copper wire, have it attached to a crystal and have a thing that slides across it, across this one wire that touches down 
to expand the amount of coil resonance for the crystal. You could also use a battery. You can get like a, you know, electrical system going to add electricity for the current by using, you know, you could use a real battery or you could use an acid solution like, you know, like lemonade or something. But if you're stuck in a gulag, you know, you need, you need to communicate because you were like in World War II, like it would be essential knowledge, right? So that, that's that been passed on. So crystal radio is the first thing that will come back. But in order to broadcast, you're going to need to make copper ma uh, microphone. And so that's going to require resonance. You're going to need vacuum tubes in order to pick up the signal and to uh, to expand the signal to make it louder. Like And so so, so it's a more, a more verbose, like a perturbation. Per perturbation of the of this of the vibration so perturbation is like the resonance is vi the vibrating force that's being sent and so then that becomes a spiral and that's so you think of a sound wave as up and down but it's really a spiral that's coming towards you mm. you know like a drill wow yeah man we will be able to make chips because what we'll do is you get copper plates and then you draw the outline and you acid wash everything but that line that was saved. And so then you can have a, a straight line of copper from one point to the other. So there will be chips, but that scene in Back to the Future where they go back and they don't have what they need to recreate the, the you know, the, they have like a Japanese chip. So they have to build this giant version of it with wires back and forth. That's what will happen. There'll be pieces that'll be missing. And that, that can easily happen to, to anybody is that they, they're stuck with, you know, imagine you're a mathematician. Imagine like everything ends in Atlantis and everyone's going off because there's like volcanoes erupting and there's tidal waves or whatever. And so some people, maybe a whole group of mathematicians who are running the computers, they go somewhere, but they don't have the computer. So what they do is they keep alive math somehow and then somebody else has got object-oriented code but they don't have a computer so they're keeping alive language somehow and this is how some of the stuff will exist it'll become tangential until it can reconnect again well wow. i think also like when it comes to preserve like what, what you're getting at is civilizational collapse right you assume that i think there will always be things that will keep us at our core, whatever our true selves were, it'll always like piggyback no matter what, because there'll always be like some kind of structures left behind, no matter how you would, you know what I mean? Like when you look even in the dumpiest cities in America, you'll still see these brownstone European looking buildings, even if they're completely destroyed and disheveled. And that alone it's just like a testament to that. Even if everything was were to collapse, there would still be some kind of, there would still be something that would link us to the future and what we're talking about. And that's why I think like art is important as well. Speaking of New Haven, I did a mural in downtown. I, I did it basically a Tartarian city, which was crazy because I had to get it past the board, you know, the town. It was, it was done through the city. So I had to basically phrase it as if it were like, you know, I didn't want to just drop this whole like lost civilization thing, but I was able to get it through and wow. just stuff like I that. Need, I, I need to see can it. You, so yeah. Bad. Can you send Please that send to it. me, Alex, so um, we can put that in the, the uh, episode? I want to send uh, that to everyone artwork. I know. Yeah. I would love for that to be the artwork for today's episode. I think people would love to see that in their uh, podcast players. 
But yeah, this yeah. has been such an awesome conversation. Like I said the first time, Andreas, like I hope this is, you know, the second of many because I love talking to you, man. I think we're going to build something cool here and, you know, remind everybody where they can find you again. Obviously, you're on our alt media, a United website now, but you, yeah, you yeah. got two awesome podcasts that you're doing, Recent Tartarians and advanced philosophy memes podcast is there anything else you're working on and where can people find those two things i think i gotta have you man because like you're like my manager if i'm a boxer i appreciate it like, <laughs> i forget i forget i forget my fights sometimes but yeah i, I so targarinova.com exertus.com advanced philosophy memes apm on facebook and on youtube and we're doing like really interesting shows there they're just about like epistemology and history and you know it's actually like way broader but yeah exertus and apm and targarinova and you know recent Tartarian, but just go on Odyssey YouTube and find it. And I'm just really stoked actually to be on the the new platform because like, you know, alternative media is going to be like changing because of this. So. Yeah. And Thank we're, you. you know, we're a cooperative. We're trying to be the platform for the D platform, just like Sam says on the union of the unwanted. So yeah, man, a lot of exciting things to come. I hope people check out your podcast and I, I really want to you know where you can make... find out more is actually on a, on a mural in New Haven. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a picture that you can screen share with us right now, Alex? If I'm not, it's get... cool. You can send it to us and I'll make sure Andreas can get it. But, but what yeah, I mean, comes to this. hold on a sec. I think it's the great. It's the greatest thing I've heard. Actually, it's like one of the most compelling reasons I keep making stuff is that you just made that mural because it's it resonates so strongly with artists and with the audience. And but the idea that we're going to build a more positive future than the one that we've been promised is is so tempting. And I think that we can really do this. And I think that's the the biggest beauty of this is it's actually not just about the past. It's about the really really close future. And as this record's starting to end, we have to have this song ready to play and actually start playing before that one's over yeah. so tartaria we're rebuilding it absolutely and jay you know i, I want to know what are your thoughts man what do you, how do you feel about tartaria my only knowledge is from you and andreas so i don't know i am so convinced at this point honestly awesome um, it's it makes too much sense and everyone are, is already on the belief that there was definitely civilizations before us, but no one could ever really answer the question. You know, like I don't, I can't even think of an op, another option for anything I've heard in my lifetime to be that, to be like an answer to that question, you know? So. Well said. Yeah. Wow. Jay. I mean, this is kind of what I envisioned when I had you as my producer. I'm like, you know, the more Jay gets on this show, the more he's going to just shine you're, you're blossoming like a little flower jay and i'm sexy. Just so, that was I'm so happy so happy to see it it's spring and jay is blooming and and alex dude you killed it as a, a your first time as a co-host on this show i hope you come back again for more episodes and uh, yeah i it's been an honor definitely folks you can see the art that alex made in the episode artwork that's definitely going to be a thing so they're already looking at it as they're hearing this but you know where to find us subscribe to the patreon if you want to see all the cool video content all the slides and info that andrea shared with us here on the zoom 
But yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and have a great day, night, or morning. What the fuck is going on? Mark is bananas. Crazy. Okay, this guy's losing his mind. I Don't listen crazy to him. Follow us on patreon.com slash mftic. That's patreon.com slash mftic.